Time for another edition of Flex Coaches Inside the Game. We are joined by a man who's played 13 years in the NHL. He played for the Buffalo Sabres, Winnipeg Jets, Tampa Bay Lightning, and New York Rangers. He was part of a team in Rangers history that won the Stanley Cup in 1994, breaking the 54-year drought for the Rangers. We welcome Mike Hartman to the show. Happy to be here. <clears throat> Very excited. Let's go back now to your beginnings in hockey when you were a kid. How old were you when you found the game, and, and how interesting was it for you, and was it just a fun time for you? Well, I was around five years old, and uh, I went to uh, the old Olympia Stadium with my uh, my father took me to some games and my uncle. And I just started falling in love with, with hockey as well as Tiger Stadium to see the old Detroit Tigers. So, I mean, I fell in love with sports at a young age, loved playing baseball in the summertime. And then in the hockey, during the hockey season, I would play hockey. And right around five or six, I learned how to skate. I had the Kmart skates, the Kmart gloves, and went out and played for the Oak Park Rangers. <laughs> was the first team I, I, I played on. So, uh, loved the game, was always just in it for to having fun and you know, the rest is history. I loved hockey as a kid. So as you're growing up in the Michigan area and you're playing hockey and, and you're starting to pick up on things, it's getting interesting for you. Were you noticing as you were getting older that things were a little bit easier for you as a player than, let's say, your friends? Were you, was things clicking? You know, sometimes you have a kid who's, who stands out. Was that you? Was you that kid? No, well, I was playing house league up until – I was nine years old, still playing house league, and I played for the Oak Park Islanders. I mean, went from the Rangers to the Islanders, later, and uh, was the captain of the Oak Park Islanders house league. At yeah, I was, uh, boy, I was nine years old, and coincidentally, Clark Gillies was the captain of the New York Islanders. So he was a hero of mine. So back in those days, we used to watch the uh, we get somehow get Hockey Night in Canada, and we'd see the Islanders. And I was a big Islander and Clark Gilly fan. Uh, to say the least. And uh, fortunately enough, I was able to play with Clark, room with Clark. Uh, he mentored, he helped me uh, as a player. So uh, that that was great. But, but to answer your question, I, I didn't really start improving until I was, I played A travel and then I got into double A and I finally made the triple A team Adre Nationals when I was 13. And I think I was one of the worst players on the team. We went to the <laughs> tournament. I didn't really understand the game that well. You're probably saying I probably didn't understand it either when I was in my yeah, when you're, when you're young, you really don't have a grasp on it. But no, but I, I really was learning the game. Uh, I don't know if I was ready for AAA at 13. But just not too long after that, I, I played for CompuWare at 14 and uh, ended up having a, a really good player with me named Doug Strombach, who Doug was one of the top players in Michigan. And another average player that would who was younger than us that would play in tournaments with us, I had in my line is Jimmy Carson. Who got okay, I remember Jimmy, yes. Yeah, 50 goals, number two pick overall, I think, in the in the NHL that year. But uh, so I ended up really feeling, well, I, could, I think I could play this game. But I ended up uh, really doing well then scoring a lot. I don't. I, I think I led our team in scoring uh, with CompuWare, but had a great coach named Dave LaMotta who focused on schoolwork first. So the first thing we had to do was bring our report cards. And if we didn't do well, he would let us know. And he was <laughs> Then I played for Little Caesars for Chris Corey, who to this day were, were friends and uh, admired Chris, enjoyed playing for Chris Corey uh, in Detroit. He really taught me the game, had patience with me. 
And then the following year at 16, I went to play tier two in Canada because I was going to play college hockey. That was the plan. Going to college, no ifs, ands, or buts. And then from there, uh, things changed. But that I started seeing myself getting better. I was 16 years old playing with 20-year-olds. Lived with a 20-year-old who played in the OHL, who's a good, great friend of mine named Bob Langley, who, who showed me the ropes. If you look him up, uh, very tough hockey player, very smart guy, and was a great mentor for me when I was young because he really taught me about life. So it was great when I was 16 living with a 20-year-old. I remember one day I was sleeping, uh, going to be a little bit late d- driving to school, and he grabbed me out of bed and said, get to school. I, I got to shower. Nope, you're not showering. Get to school. So mentors, <laughs> and then you know the game escalated from there in my career. What was it like to play in that Pee Wee tournament when you were a kid? I mean, it's it's a it's an amazing tournament for those who don't know. They hold in Quebec every year, and kids come in from all over. I mean, was that a big eye opener to you when you got there? Yeah, for me it was exciting because you know the, the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. You walk in, you play in the old Coliseum where the Quebec Nordiques uh, used to play, and uh, there's fans at the game. But that year there was a special attraction because Wayne Gretzky's brother Keith was playing there. So we played against Brantford uh, in one of the games and the building was packed because of Keith uh, Gretzky. That, and he was a big draw to that tournament. Like Wayne, obviously, you're, you know, you're Wayne Gretzky's brother and that was exciting. And then, you know, you're, you're signing autographs after and you, you think you're pretty cool, you know, young. <laughs> so you're up, you're playing tier two and, what changed for you? Because you mentioned college. You were going to go to college. What schools were looking at you? You know, mom and dad were probably excited. Oh, my son's going to go to college. But what changed? Because back then, very few guys ever crossed the border into Canada to go play in the OHL, Quebec Major Junior, Western Hockey League. It really didn't happen back then. I mean, when you played, there were only six Americans, I looked it up, in the OHL when you were there. And, you know, it's kind of like you're kind of like encroaching on their territory. Um, But what changed for you to make that decision? I'm going to go OHL instead of go to college. Well, you know, I I started this, you know, I was a late bloomer in school. So I I started to take school more seriously uh, after ninth grade, 10th 10th grade. And Michigan State approached me, uh, Sean Walsh at the time. And Sean said, uh, we'd love to give you a scholarship when you're ready to come to Michigan State. But I think it's a good idea that you go play junior hockey and you could definitely play. In fact, uh, he sent me many letters. And then what happened was at the end, I was really thinking about playing for Michigan State. And I did have other schools contact me. I was a, no way was I a Harvard student by any means. I don't want to misrepresent myself, but they they talked to me. And, a, and I probably had 15 or 16 schools talk to me because I was fortunate enough to play in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center when they bring certain players in for the development camp back then. So people started to notice I was on the radar and I said, wow, this is pretty cool. But then I met somebody by the name of Gus Bedali, who represented uh, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux and Dale Howardchuck. And he said, um, I, I think it's a good idea that you think about playing in the OHL because it's the quickest way to the NHL. And I did at the time, and I don't blame, um, I'm not looking, you know, at the time I said, well, you know, my, my mother said, there's no way you're going to stay in Canada 
and play in the, uh, there's no way I'm not going to, my, my father said, go live your, I think your dream. I think that's why they're divorced to this day. <laughs> so I made the, I made the move and, uh, played in the OHL, put all my eggs in one basket and that basket broke actually almost. So I could show that. How, how was that jump? as an American going up there, I mean, it, it, those kids, they grow up with that. It's in their culture. It's, you know, there's junior B level hockey, there's tier two, but the OHL is the quickest route for them back then at that time in the eighties to the NHL. And for them, that's a really big thing. They like to be able to say, you know, Oh, I'm in the OHL. I'll be in the NHL when I'm 18, 19 years of age. You're almost a professional in a way because you're playing 70 plus games a season it's it's a very grinding, demanding schedule. It's a lot different today than it was back then. But how much of, you know, you're 16, 17, you're an American, you're encroaching on these guys. How did you handle that jump? Was it tough for you? Was it the mental part, the physical part? Were you just like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? Well, I can't, I can't say it's a mistake because I ended up playing. But I, I, I was a goal scorer as a kid. Um, I like to play physical, but I never really had a fight in my life. I had one when I was a little kid, but uh, never really dropped my gloves. And I ended up playing uh, tier two. And I, like I told you, I lived with a very, very physical type hockey player, tough guy. And it turned out that I ended up having a fight one night and I didn't realize I fought one of the toughest guys in Canada who played. I didn't know he would, if I knew that I probably wouldn't have done it. And I did okay. So now they said, oh boy, now he could fight. So now I did it again. And it, you know, to me, my, my mother, my father really didn't understand it. They say, why are you dropping your gloves? But they told me if you play a two-way style, it's really going to help you. So I go to Belleville as a 17-year-old. And uh, I remember just, it was, uh, I'm not going to say a disaster, but I really had a bad experience doing it. Now I lost my college eligibility. There was a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Devolano who was the uh, who's a really a, a great guy, and he worked for the Detroit Red Wings as the president and general manager. While my father was a team photographer for the Red Wings, and he approached my father and said, "In the beginning, Mike's going to go in the first three rounds. He's playing well." Then my, he met my father again and said, "Well, he might go in the sixth or seventh round." Then he met my father again at the game and said, I'm just going to share with you. I don't think your kid's going to make it in hockey. And, and I didn't get drafted. I put all my eggs in that one basket in Belleville and it broke. It was uh, not a good situation. It wasn't the right place for me. Um, I probably had some maturing to do at, at the time. So to answer your question, it, it worked out uh, not good. And the next, uh, well, that summer, uh, I, I go to the draft, don't get drafted. So they were right. Ken Holland said it too. It doesn't look like you're going to get drafted. They told me. They were direct. Jimmy Devolano said the same thing. And then not too long after that, I get a phone call from Jimmy Devolano when I was in Belleville, just coming or just playing that year in Belleville. I'm home in Detroit. He called me and says, will you come down to Joe Louis Serena? I want to talk to you. I said, yeah. I loved it. I was all excited. I was called my dad. The Red Wings called me. I get down, Jimmy Devolano sits me down for lunch and he says, uh, thanks for coming. I go, well, thank you. Like, he goes, you know why I brought you here today? And I said, to give me a tryout? He goes, no, the opposite. Um, I'm gonna help you with your game. You need to do these things. Uh, we can't give you a tryout because first of all, you're not ready. And secondly, back then it's a development league and you can't come until you're 20. You just can't come 
they didn't have rookie camps back then. So first thing he says is, uh, you're not the biggest guy, but you could skate and you're going out of your way to make hits. I mean, he went through this whole list. But he said, if you follow my plan and the Detroit Red Wings training plan, I'll give you a tryout when you're 20 years old and I want to help you. He gave me a plan that changed my life. Next year, I get traded to North Bay and I'm playing for North Bay, Burt Templeton, who I played a two-way style, defensive style, killing penalties, putting me in all situations, helped me as a player, played in the NHL at 19 for Buffalo. And Jimmy Devlin called to thank me because we were going to draft you, I said, but, which was great. I ended up going to Buffalo, which, which was fantastic. But that was the journey there. And if it wasn't for Jimmy Devolano sitting me down, giving me a plan, I don't know. I, would, I went back to school anyways, but I would have gone back to school and probably quit hockey. You got drafted seventh round, 131 overall by the Buffalo Sabres. Did it look like it was, you know, you were standing on an island and across the water was the Buffalo Sabres in the NHL? Did it seem like it was that far away for you? I mean, seventh round back then, you, you know, you're kind of like in the middle of, you know, like maybe going to the AHL or wherever you're going to wind up. You know, a lot of guys never really blossom. I mean, there's been there's been examples, you know, like Jimmy Dowd, uh, Luke Robitaille was drafted late. I mean, there are those diamonds in the rough like you guys, but did you look at it and say, oh, seventh round, 131, there's all these guys ahead of me, or were you just like, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to worry about me. No, I was 18. I didn't get drafted. And I was told they don't draft 19-year-olds back then because there's too many 18-year-olds. So I got drafted in my year that I was not supposed to get drafted. I didn't even go to the draft. Yeah. I got drafted and Jimmy Carson's I didn't I wasn't gonna go because I knew I wasn't gonna get drafted. And Jimmy Carson's father uh called my dad. He he goes second overall. He's such a what a fantastic thing that he did. He called my father all excited. Your son just got drafted by Buffalo. So I celebrated Like, wow, this is like, I, I I had no idea I was gonna get drafted. I didn't go, no one talked to me. And Don Luce was the person that drafted me, who to this day I'm, I'm, I'm close with. We talk uh, every now and then. We've had some long conversations. And I, uh, I almost thanked him. And it, it did look far away, but I knew that I, what I had to do. I, I, I took Jimmy DeMolano's advice, and I've listened to certain people. And I knew that I had to play physical, play hard, uh, shoot the puck a lot, um, play a smart game, play a heady game, play really good defensively. And I saw myself making the team at that age, even though it was unrealistic and seventh rounders don't get a chance. Um, mm-hmm. I got a pretty good chance and it, it, it worked out. Uh, it, it, it was, I was probably playing on adrenaline than anything else. <laughs> so you're with North Bay and you get the call that most guys dream of to come up to the Buffalo Sabres. Where were you and, and what do you remember about it when you got the call? Well, I, I know it's, I think the information's like, so what happened was I went to training camp and Scotty Bowman signed me and I made the team right away. So I was with the team for 14 games. I, I played on a line with Gilbert Perot on the fourth. Oh my line. gosh. Yeah. And it was like, wow. I, you know, I ended up scoring. I had three goals, three assists, six points. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it was like the first nine games and, it was kind of like I was playing what well, they would put me out there. One, I'm playing with Gilbert Pro too, don't forget. But uh, it was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I wasn't ready. I go back to junior, go play for the world junior team. And then I got called up again for three more games that year. Uh, and Ted Sater was the coach in, uh, 
in Buffalo. So I was, uh, I started with this team, went to the world junior team and I, that's how it was really my first game. I sat out the first few games with the Sabres, but when I played the first game against the Montreal Canadians at home, it was like, Holy cow. That was, uh, that was amazing. Even the exhibition games, I ended up playing the exhibition games. Every one of them was a, was a great experience. What was it like to play for Scotty? I mean, he's, he's one of the great hockey minds of, of all time. I mean, were you just kind of in awe of the fact of who he was when he was in the locker room or when he was talking to you? Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's not, uh, he really, uh, really a, a gentleman, but you don't want to make mistakes with him. He was, it's almost been a perfectionist. I remember I did a drill to this day and I think I'm, you know, I'm playing on a, I'm in practice and I made a backhand pass to start the drill off inside my own end. So after that, I went and made a perfect backhand pass right on the player stick. We did like a two-on-o regroup. So we pass it across, pass to the D, two-on-o back, get a shot. I go to the line, he comes up to me, he says, you think you're Gilbert Perot or Wayne Gretzky? And I said, no. He goes, don't ever make a back. He goes, Mike Hartman will never make a backhand pass in his own zone, especially across the ice. Don't do it. So he would let you know. I mean, he he could see ten things going on at once. You had to be you had to be ready back then to to, uh, to for the challenge for whatever for, for whatever it was worth. I think I was too young to understand at the time. Uh, oh man, okay, he's probably just don't make a backhand pass. But think about Scotty Bowman, the all time winningest coach, even back then was. Uh, what was I mean? What was the leap like to the NHL from OHL for you? Was it was it was like oh my gosh these guys you know friends of mine have said to play in the NHL I'm gonna quote Bill Guerin we had Bill Guerin on the show a while ago and Billy Guerin said it was survival every day for me and he was a fifth overall pick in 1989 I'm thinking to myself wow that's a pretty bold statement to make that it's survival every day in the NHL what was it like for you I mean were you were you awed were you was it like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm here or were you just like put my head down and just go to work. Well, uh, it, for Billy Guerin to say it, for a big, strong, two-way hockey player, high draft pick, he, he's right. But especially when you're a bubble player, uh, I realize, and I was always realistic, and people say, why do you say this? But I was very realistic that I knew I was a career fourth liner, and I knew what I had to do. And I had the mindset that, okay, if I outwork the person across from me, whether it's you're playing against Rick Tockett, Wayne Gretzky, no matter who it is, you have to be on your game and you have to be ready. And my father was very realistic. He says, hey, this this might be a cup of coffee for you or it could be a pot of coffee. You don't know. So just enjoy it and make the most of it. And I, I was appreciative because, man, there was guys in junior hockey that were like, like, like Gratton who played for uh, – Oshawa, like he was a star of the league and we had Craig Duncanson and those guys have not made it yet when I don't think some of them even played and we had some really high draft picks and here I was playing for the Buffalo Sabres but it's also a little bit of luck I could have got drafted by the Montreal Canadiens who won the Stanley Cup the year before and never would have got that chance so it's timing and I just realized hey I, I wasn't I looked up to a lot of these players like Mike Foligno and Lindy Ruff and Mark Napier and some really good players, but I realized, okay, don't let this opportunity slip and do not take a shift off or do not take a skate off and 
redeem yourself. If you do have a bad game or a bad couple shifts, you better not let it happen again. So mental preparation was very important for you to succeed in the game. Yeah, people thought I was weird. I was listening to motivational tapes back in the 80s. So we had the cassette tape. We put it in the car. And I was listening to to things. And, uh, yeah, uh, but I've always been – I've always loved that part of things. And uh, just uh, whether you could lie to yourself and say, oh, I I belong here and I'm as strong as these guys. When you're (laughs) – where I really noticed is that the second time I got called up or when I got back to junior and they called me up as an emergency call-up, we played in Boston. And after being back in junior – I went in warm-ups, and now they're big and strong. We were playing in the Boston Garden, and the puck's moving fast, and we're doing two-on-one. I'm back in the line, and I really realized that, holy cow, I just came from playing with 16-year-olds and 18-year-olds. Now I'm playing with uh, Dave Anderchuk and John Tucker, Phil Housley, and some really good players. And last night I was playing with kids that are kids. So, yeah, they're probably never going to see the NHL. You know, most of these kids are never going to see it. And now I'm up here, and these are these are grown men. This is how they make their living. This is how they this is how they support their families, and they take it very seriously. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things yeah, that's the ups and downs, I guess, at the NHL is you got to you got to survive. What's the toughest part? Do you think even like when you played, and even today for an NHL player, that the average fan wouldn't understand out there? What's the toughest thing you guys have to go through on a day to day basis? Yeah, it, it's tougher than it looks. And like I said, as a fourth-line player, you always have to be on because at one time I had a two-way contract. I was fortunate enough to have a, a one-way, and that still doesn't – you could still – it's not so much I'm not, I'm not making it a transactional or, or a money thing, but you're always on the bubble. And the hardest thing was, okay, you're playing. There's only four left-wingers on a, on a team, and you read that they just signed uh, – Bob Corkum, who's a left winger from college, and they're bringing in Mike Donnelly, the all-time leading scorer at Michigan State. Well, there's another left winger. Oh, they just signed a big tough guy. They're bringing in Brad May. There's a third left winger. You start saying to yourself, okay, wait a sec here. You're starting to run out of, you know, you're, you know you're going to be on that fourth line. They have the top two lines, pretty much the third line, you know, set, and you're saying to yourself, wow, this is uh, fortunately enough I could play the right and left side. But you're always thinking, wow, they're bringing in these guys. You read about him in the paper that he should be ready next year. And you have to uh, be really mentally strong to say, boy, this, this could end quick. And then they got guys in Rochester and then they got junior players they drafted. So it becomes a numbers game after a while. And then you could start, you could be your own worst enemy. And I think for me, I was hard on myself in the beginning saying, oh, no, this doesn't look good. And coaches and talking to me or, oh, you're, oh boy, I sat out last. Then I, they sat me out. I didn't sit out actually until four years in Buffalo. I was a regular player every night, but then you're sitting out a little bit and you're, you're you start doubting yourself. And that, that was the hardest thing for me where you have to be on every, every game and yeah. uh, every practice. Do you think it's harder to make the NHL than to stay in the NHL? Well, when I got to the NHL, uh, Lindy Ruff said to me, he said, you know, Mike, it's uh, are you good in math? And I said, well, average. He says, well, it's six. He goes, you're playing great, but it's 60 miles from Buffalo to Rochester, but it's 120 miles back. And I had to think, well, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's 60 miles down and 120 back. 
So once you're back in Rochester, you might be there a long time or they'll forget about you. So it's tough to stay. So you, you make it there, you do well, but you have to be consistent. That's one thing at that level. There's a lot of great players that play, but you mentioned Jim Dowd. He was a very consistent hockey player. I mean, he could play, he played a long time and made comebacks and did different things because of his consistency. And there, there was players that could do that, but you also have players that you read about. I played junior with a player named Dave McLean, great hockey player. I think he scored yeah, seven goals, or 70 goals in, in a year. How do you, I mean, and it, it, and Graham Bonner, who played, was drafted high by the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm friendly with Graham. He's a great guy. And how did a guy like that not get a chance in Montreal? He was a, he's six foot three, strong, big guy played. And, and I always feel for those guys. Uh, and I really do. I, I said, boy, those guys maybe deserve to play some games, but for some reason they didn't. But, um, but looking back, I, I look at it was, it, it was never easy. Let's put it that way. And you can never get comfortable. We're talking with Mike Hartman here on inside the game brought to you by flex coach. Stay tuned for segment two on all your great devices and your websites for more podcasts. 